Hello, my quarantine compadres. Nice. Yeah. How are you guys doing today? Uh, they can't answer, but yeah, I'm doing well. well. No, I'm glad. Uh, this is your host, Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bo. And your other host, Hayden Bo. We're here today with Mark Bell. We're not here with him because quarantine, but he's here in, in, in soul. Spirit. Presence. And on screen. Oh my God. Woo. Nice. <laughs> You're not even going to say uh, bless you? Bless you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christo. So today we talked to Mark about lots of things. Mark, for those of you who don't know him, he is the inventor of the slingshot, which is an apparatus that you put on your arms to assist in the bench press when you're injured or when you're hurt or just to overload that movement. He started his company about 10 years ago and has grown astronomically over the last few years. So we talk a lot about business, social media, um, some of the kind of what's the lift through it and strengthening our weakness. What would you call that? Just motivational and, uh, sort of inspirational movements that he started. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also been stirring the pot a little bit on social media with some highly controversial topics. A little troublemaker. Yeah. So we dive into that, specifically his race to zero followers, which sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> but uh, Any he, influencer's worst nightmare. Yeah. But uh, he's really uh, embraced that. And I think the overall message behind what he's he's doing with that is uh, one that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear his perspective on that. Because every time I see him post something about the race to zero followers, I almost feel like the people commenting don't understand at all what the purpose of that is, mm-hmm. of, of why he's doing it. So it's good to get some perspective on that. Yeah, it's bullsy what he does. You know, if you have a... a an opinion, an unpopular opinion, you're putting your thoughts out there for hundreds of thousands of people to see and to judge. I mean, that requires a lot of courage. So he's not afraid of speaking his mind. And in this episode, we dive deep into his mindset and why he's doing the things that he's doing. Yeah. And this episode is brought to you by Go Strong Equipment. They're the Rolls Royce of equipment. If you want to drive a Honda Civic, that's fine. That's fine, but that's just not the type of people that, uh, you know, that buy ghost stuff. So exactly. if you want to step up your equipment game, these guys are the best. Check them out at Ghost Strong Equipment on Instagram and GhostStrongEquipment.com. Hope you guys enjoy. Okay. So should I just uh, flirt with Steffi the whole time and just pretend? <laughs> just pretend. We'll just kind of go like this. Yes, please. Kind of walk out. Boost my ego. Yeah, I'll just I'll take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, hello, Mark. Welcome to Hybrid Unlimited. You're this is your first time being a guest on our podcast. You guys are popping my cherry. <laughs> I don't know why it took us so long to get him in. He's a busy man. You're a hard man. Look, to, when uh, we down. when we started a list of who we wanted on our podcast, I think you were in the first five. But yeah, you are you're you're more difficult to get on a podcast or an appearance than Oprah. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I appreciate the uh, $500,000 contract that you guys gave me to get on here. So I'll be on here multiple times. Your fans can uh, be ready for that because we signed a three-year deal. So I appreciate it. 
Awesome. Yeah. No, so welcome. Um, why don't we start by uh, letting our listeners, even though I think that most of our listeners know who you are, but give them like the elevator pitch of who Mark Bell is. All right. Well, I'm a dad. I got a son named Jake. He's 16. I got a daughter named Quinn. She's 12. I have a wifey. Her name is Andy. We own a business together called Slingshot. Uh, I also started a gym called Super Training Gym, probably about 12 or so years ago, 2000, yeah, 2006. And, uh, I had a, um, I invented a product called the slingshot, which is a supportive upper body device for bench press pushups and dips. And the wifey and I, uh, run the business together. We have, um, we've had as many as like 20 employees at slingshot. Um, but we have found kind of our sweet spot. We have probably more like 12 nowadays, and that seems to work really well. Uh, what separates us out, I think, from the majority of a lot of the other companies that try to do some of the stuff that we do is that I was in the front lines for many, many years being an actual power lifter, squatting 1,080, bench pressing 854 pounds and deadlifting 766. So I have screwed myself up in every which way that you can think of, every which way you can imagine. And then based off of how I screwed myself up and what hurt, uh, I created products uh, around that. And so uh, I have been the uh, R&D machine for the past 30 years, you know, being involved in the sport of powerlifting and just uh, just kicking the crap out of myself, I guess you'd say. And then I just, from there, was thinking of different products and different things that allow me to train through and around my injuries. And another thing I think that makes us uh, quite different is that we have an 8,000 square foot gym that's free. So that's my way of trying to give back to powerlifting, give back to the sport that I love. And uh, the gym is like actually free. People always ask like, what's the, what's the catch? What's the deal? Uh, at the moment, it's not open to the public. It's only open to our staff. But uh, within the next few weeks, hopefully we can open it back up to the public. And anybody that's listening to this podcast, all you need to do is try to hit us up on Instagram, which is uh, the Super Training Gym. Just hit us up on Instagram. Let us know that you want to come. And every Saturday and Sunday from nine to one, the gym is open. The gym's yours. Isn't it shocking for me? It was shocking when I went to visit you. Well, the few times that I've been that I've been there to visit you, that the gym's not packed. I would expect that a gym like that, you know, so well equipped and with you guys there, would be packed a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, but okay? what Mark always says, I think I might be paraphrasing here, but it's like. People are too soft to do it. It's hard work, you know, like people don't want to work hard. <laughs> They'd rather go to LA fitness and meander through a workout at their, their own pace than have Mark and the team, you know, crush them for, from nine to one. That's a hundred percent of what it is. And if it was, uh, you know, stretching or yoga or something that everyone could participate in, um, even obviously if it was like CrossFit or something, I think people would do it, even though CrossFit is very difficult. Um, but what we ask of you at super training gym is the gym, the gym is free. But we want you to contribute. We want you to be involved with other people. And a lot of people don't feel like they have time for that. So if we see you coming in and you're coming in every week uh, for a while and it's kind of clear that you just want to like be off on your own and do your own thing and you don't participate with anybody, we just ask you to not come back because we're like, well, you just we don't want you just off in the corner doing curls, you know, while, while we love fitness. Um, We're not really there for that. We're there to be a team and we're there to uh, help each other. And it's okay if you have a different goal. It's okay if you 
you don't want to lose fat. You don't want to necessarily do a powerlifting meet. Everyone will still get behind you. But when someone's about to squat, when someone's about to do a lift, we're expecting you to participate, shout at that person, give them some encouragement. So that way, when you're going through stuff and you're going through something hard, uh, you'll get the same thing back. So the only we have basically two rules in the gym. One is um, no headphones. So that way you, you all communicate with each other. And then the second rule is uh, no tank tops unless you either bench over 400 pounds or have <laughs> over 18 inch arms. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's obviously just a guy, a guy rule, you know? <laughs> uh, I like that. Uh, I like the that. most important rule. I like that it's free, but it's still exclusive in that you make basically cuts to the people who, who come in, you know, it's like, it's almost like a tryout. You kind of have to earn your spot by improving the morale and experience of everybody around you. Otherwise it kind of goes right back to your, you're saying you're either in or you're in the way. So, uh, I, I think that's, yes. I think that's, that's, you get, that's you get, cool. you get the boot. <laughs> yeah. Mark, do you consider the man with the most, the most repeated quotes? I feel like he has his own, he has such a good, uh, way of phrasing things and then just kind of repeating it and popularizing it. I think I always, I always use one of his phrases. Yeah. Strength is never a weakness. That, that one's gone, gone far. Some people think I said it because of how much I say it. <laughs> I, I have tried to, uh, tried to simplify stuff for people so they can, uh, remember stuff. Uh, I've tried to make things fun over the years. You know, one of the things when we were putting together a lot of videos early on, you know, they would cut, they would do like a, a lift and then it would show the next guy's lift and show the next guy's lift. And I was like, Hey, didn't we like, didn't we like mess around? Didn't we like wrestle each other or something? And weren't we all laughing in between that clip? I thought I remembered something funny happened, you know? And I'm like, Oh yeah. And I was like, Hey, make sure you leave that in there, you know, mm -hmm. because I want to show people that, um, we're having a lot of fun, even though, you know, we're squatting these big weights and stuff, uh, we're still having a lot of fun with it. And I think it's important that you have fun with it. And I think it's important that you figure out ways of, uh, trying to remember a lot of these things because they carry over right into your, your everyday life. You know, all the different things that you work for in the gym, all the different opportunities that you have to get better. I mean, the gym is just an opportunity, uh, to make yourself more fit and your day is just an opportunity to make yourself better as well. So, and, you know, going around in the country and uh, doing seminars and things like that for years and years, I have still yet to meet one person that doesn't possess the ability to get stronger. And I always found that I always found that to be just really just cool. Like, it's just awesome. Like someone could really, really stink. They could really suck at powerlifting. Um, they could be very, very weak. They can have all kinds of problems with their form and technique and stuff. But the, even that person possesses the ability to get stronger. And even somebody that's broken, you know, like 30 time world records possesses the ability to get stronger. And, and I find that to be like, like, how is that possible? That's actually very, very interesting thing. So I just try to make it fun and I try to um, leave people with stuff that they can hold on to and remember. Yeah. And I think you do an amazing job at it. You know, people really do look up to you and you do a great job at communicating and motivating and inspiring people. Not recently, we did that uh, free seminar, remember? And it was open to how many people? 
was it? The first 50? First 50. We and weren't there like 200 people outside, like literally sleeping? At some horrible hour of the morning. What was that? Like, it was I don't like know. Four? Six, some six hour I haven't seen before or since. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Like <laughs> It's that. been a lot of fun. You know, it's been a lot of fun being involved with you guys from the beginning and then seeing just your progression and uh, your evolution as lifters, your evolution in your relationship, your evolution in your um, in your business. You know, when I first got to know you guys, I don't really think you had. Well, Hayden, you were kind of coming off of another business, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then you were kind of just getting the beginning of all this. But now to see what you guys are doing now is just it's awesome for me. And then to have been uh, just being involved in any part of it, you know, commu- and communicating with you guys and, and assisting you guys anytime you had questions and stuff. It's been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And you've been you've been a huge asset. I always, whenever something goes wrong, I pick up the phone and I'm like, yo, Mark, need your help. That's when I know she's really mad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think you'll never forget the day the little Venezuelan chick came into your gym and forced you to teach her how to bench press. That's Mark's favorite story. (laughs) Yeah. Mark Bell, you're going to show me how to bench. I was like, Hey, I don't want any problems. I'll I'll do whatever you say. I want to get my ass kicked. (laughs) um, Let's switch gears a bit and uh, talk about business. And then we have a few things that we want to talk about there in that aspect. Um, So you started Slingshot how long ago? Oh, six. Uh, It's been going on for 10 years. Yeah. So uh, July of this year will be uh, our 10 year anniversary. Did you ever think that it would, it would get to the size that it is today? I always thought it was a big deal, you know, from the moment that I created the slingshot, I, um, I knew it was a big deal. And for some reason, um, I had a vision for it. I'm not really sure why that happened, but, um, the day that I created it, um, I, I met a, uh, a friend of ours, a family friend of ours, she sewed this, uh, these two knee wraps together. Hmm. And, um, it was, uh, someone that my wife swam with, she would make swimsuits for this, their swim team. And, um, you know, I met her at this like Starbucks and I, you know, I told her, you know, what I was looking for the week before. And then we met up again and she pulls out, which is what is now a slingshot. And I said, Hey, can you stay right here? I'm going to go try this on. And uh, I'm going to go try this at this gym, which is just a few hundred feet away. So I went into this fitness 19, um, pretended like I had a membership there and just kind of bypassed the front desk, <laughs> um, benched uh, 135 with the slingshot on weight moved around really well. And then I was like, okay, let me see if I have a little bit more weight on there, how it feels. And I did 225. And the weight was just flying. You know, the weights were being slingshotted off of my chest. And I racked the weight. And when I got up, I was just head to toe covered in goosebumps. I was like, holy shit, like, this is what, because I already, I had the idea for a few years, but I just, it was just kind of sitting up in my noggin. I wasn't really doing, a, doing anything with it. So when I actually created it, I knew it was a big deal um, from from the very beginning. And then it probably wasn't too long after that, where I was like, I need to create a whole line of stuff surrounding this, because if you're going to be able to bench more, well, now you have to wrap your wrists too, you know, and then it just makes sense. Like, okay, well, we might as well make knee wraps because knee wraps and wrist wraps are pretty much the same. And the slingshot is literally made out of knee wraps. And so it just made sense to kind of, uh, from there make more products, but, even early on, I would say within the first year, I, th- I think we ordered like 
I think we ordered like 4,000 slingshots. And I was like, I could sell these in a year without a problem. And we ended up selling, uh, we ended up selling all of them, but it was like more like in like 14 months. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it was a lofty goal cause no one ever made anything like it before. Um, but I just, I, I've just, I don't know why, but I just knew that it would do really well and kind of something else that was a vision that kind of went along with all that was I, I knew I'd be able to get the company to about $5 million pretty much by ourselves, just Andy and I, but I didn't, I didn't know why I thought that I didn't know. Like, I don't, I don't have any previous business experience. I never went to school for it. I know zero about money, probably still to this day pretty much. And so I don't know why all that stuff kind of hit me that way, but it just, it just did for whatever that, whatever reason, that whole thing, the slingshot itself, it just took over my mind, took over my brain and just consumed me 24 seven. So in terms of innovation, I've, I've been really interested in the topic of creativity and innovation. And so the definition of innovation is finding something that satisfies or creating a product or a service, a service that satisfies a particular need. In the case of the slingshot, I think it's, it wasn't that it was an unmet need, but I think it was a need that people didn't even think they they had. So how did you go right. from creating a brand new product that was innovative and that didn't exist to being able to convince people that they needed it? Like what was kind of the marketing surrounding that? That's a really tough thing. You know, if you think about like push-ups, right? If you use a slingshot for push-ups, uh, you know, a lot of people that are good at push-ups are like, well, I don't really need that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of neat because you can do double the amount of push-ups or you can do more push-ups in a lot less time. So you can just have more efficiency and you guys know a huge part of the game. I mean, if you can just, if I was still, if I was still competitively powerlifting and if I stayed in powerlifting gear, I would have squatted more than 1,080. I would have benched more than 854. I would have deadlifted. I, you know, I would have done everything a little bit more. Uh, the only reason why I didn't is because I got injured. And I just, I, I realized it was time to shift my focus. Um, it was time to switch my interests. I didn't have the same uh, burning desire. I didn't have the same fire in my stomach, probably because of the injuries that surmounted. So, if people can just feel good and you guys know this with, uh, some mind bullet experimentation, if you just, if you just feel really good, um, it changes everything. It really does. It changes. It changes the way you feel. It changes what you're capable of. Now, if you go in the gym and you're working on a squat PR and you're in week three, you know, heading into a meet, you know, 12 weeks later or whatever, and you have some tendonitis in your knee, it's like, man, that doesn't, that's, that makes it tough. It makes mm -hmm. every workout, um, super frustrating. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I I'm sure you've been there. Yeah. I've cried from many workouts. I've, you know, gone in my car and like, just, just completely broke down. And I'm, I'm not a very emotional person. Um, but I've been that frustrated with it before to where I'm like, this just sucks. Like I'm trying everything I can to get better, but these injuries are holding me back or this, um, inflammation is holding me back. Some of those things. So when it came to the, the slingshot and it came to, you know, trying to sell people on something they, that they didn't know they needed, it was simply just selling people on. If you can stay healthier, then it's going to be way easier to get stronger. And it's really not a hard sell, uh, to explain to someone 
I mean, I don't even have to explain anything to anybody. Uh, when they have shoulder pain or bicep tendonitis, when they're bench pressing, that pain that you get in the front of your shoulder mm-hmm. or some severe elbow pain when you're trying to bench press because any, you know, gym bro that's been lifting long enough knows how annoying that is. And they're like, I know I'm strong enough to bench that three plates, but the shit hurts so bad. I can't get my training in. I can't get the volume in that I need. I can't do the accessories that I want. So if you're able to figure out ways to blunt block pain, um, and just feel better, uh, then you're going to be, uh, on the road to making a lot more progress, a lot faster. But if stuff's all banged up, man, it's, it's, you could still go to a meet and that's part of being a professional, but you can still go to a meet and do better than you have previously because you'll just gut through it. Uh, but that's not a good way to, to really survive the game and, and do it long, a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're saying is absolutely right in terms of being injured and not being able to express your full strength potential. I mean, it is known, and this is going to be the nerd in me, scientifically, when you're injured and there's some sort of like fluid deposition in the joints or even just pain alone can attenuate your strength output by like almost 70%, well, I'm, and I'm, 30 to 70%. And to apply it to an example, anyone who's had bad bicep tendonitis, you can literally feel that loss of strength when you're trying to lower the weight that like last couple inches. Have you had that with the yeah, bicep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brutal. Smooth, smooth, smooth. Ooh, and then yeah. it just crushes you. Yeah. And it's like you have zero strength in that in that point in time. And having suffered that myself, I've actually used the slingshot for that exact reason. Same. And it was great because uh, instead of just being like, well, I can't bench, you know, and, and kind of mailing it in and, and losing progress there, you can still do it in a way that, you know, at, at the very least – maintains your strength level until you get back to being able to do it pain-free. Mark, are you ever concerned? Also, of- go ahead. Oh, good. I was going to say, I, I would also add that, uh, luckily for me that the bench press is a, is a shitty movement. You know, it's, um, it's a movement that doesn't really make sense in my opinion. Um, I, I cannot think of any other time in your life where you have to express that style of strength and that kind of movement, you know, have, have both of your arms pinned back behind the midline of your body with, uh, with such an enormous amount of weight. I know that we're made to push stuff. Uh, we're made to throw stuff. We're made to like defend ourselves. Uh, we can like climb and do all kinds of stuff with our arms and our shoulder rotation and things like that. But just try to think about it in terms of, I don't know, like an evolutionary standpoint or just in your day-to-day life, you can push yourself up off the ground, but how much weight is that in, you know, in regards to, you know, you trying to bench press 300 pounds, like it's just so much more. And then you're also utilize, you're lifting off of a piece of equipment, which changes everything as well. Like you're, you're actually on a bench press, you're on a stable surface and you're moving your arms around as you're doing it. So luckily for me, it's just a, it's just kind of a crap exercise. I always think it's the, um, I actually think it's kind of the thorn in everyone's side when it comes to powerlifting. I think the bench press is, is worse for your back than a squat or deadlift because I think a squat or deadlift doesn't have to be bad for your back because you can really manage a lot of the stuff that you're trying to do. But when it comes to a bench press, just having your legs down like that, um, and, and getting that kind of extra stretch through your hips, and then trying to curl your back up. I just don't think it's, um, I just don't think it's a great movement in terms of like, uh, 
you know, trying to stay healthy. I'd rather see people bench press more like a bodybuilder, really, with their feet up and the back flat. It's not like your it's not like your spine's not designed to do that. Of course, your spine is designed to move and bend and and do all kinds of different things. But when else are you arched like that for? you know, 10, 15 seconds, however long it takes you to set up and, and stay in that position. And then when else are you, you know, kind of, again, moving your shoulder uh, into that position. So the slingshot's great because it takes the least advantageous position of the bench press, that bottom portion of the bench press where you don't have a mechanical advantage. It gives you a little kick through there. It helps give you a mechanical advantage. And then as you, as the lift becomes more advantageous, as you become stronger, because we would be stronger holding the weight probably more so than we would be trying to actually lift the weight. And so as you push towards the top, it's kind of matching your strength curve. The way that I have explained it many times is it kind of acts as double muscle. When the slingshot stretches, so do your muscles on that eccentric portion on the concentric, both things short, shorten and uh, constrict. And, and that's really the way that it works. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really curious about your rise to fame because the slingshot has all obviously become a hugely popular product. And I'm wondering, do you think the slingshot sort of added to your popularity or helped build your popularity? Or were you popular prior to that from things like WWE and just powerlifting and lifting at Westside? And that sort of gave you the platform to start selling a product like the slingshot? you know i i think i i've always uh i've always been kind of popular like i had you know two older brothers that went through the same school as i did they both were involved in sports they both were involved in in football and i was like known in my town or area i'm sure as you guys were especially being athletes and stuff like that and so um that's just kind of that just sort of happened through some of that. And then also through being a massive fan of, of like WWE and things like that. I always kind of wanted, I always aspired to be like known, you know, I, I, my, my older, oldest brother, Mike, he, uh, he was super popular and he, um, I just always, I always looked up to him when I was a kid, he was my childhood hero. And so I always kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps in some regards. He did a lot of stuff that uh, wasn't smart, but, you know, I wanted to follow in his footsteps in a lot of ways. And so there was something inside of me that wanted, um, I guess you'd say attention, like wanted that attention, wanted to get at least a a piece of that. Um, but as I got closer to it and as I got into like pro wrestling and stuff, I realized that that wasn't really what I wanted. It was, um, I I don't mind some of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to, not, not that I could, but I wouldn't want to uh, have the extra weight of, you know, being the rock or being John Cena or being, you know, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want that because that compromises and that changes your life too drastically. And, you know, as I had a kid and stuff like that, I wanted to kind of move into, um, a different direction and wanted to be more, a little bit more family oriented and and things of that nature, but bigger, stronger, faster really helped a lot. When I went to the first couple of trade shows with the slingshot, that's what people associated me with. People associated with, associated me with bigger, stronger, faster, the movie that my brother made. And, uh, you know, it wasn't shortly after that, that, um, 
my powerlifting, well, it was right around the same time. My powerlifting career was taking off at the same time. Now, had we had Instagram and stuff like that back then, um, I think everything would be amplified uh, probably like five or tenfold uh, just because I just had so many different things going on at one time. You know, I'm, I'm breaking these records and building a business kind of simultaneously and stuff like that. So, um, but it all happened. It all happened at a good time. Like it all, it all went down the way that it should have went down. And, um, you know, it makes me proud. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, uh, excited to be, you know, semi-famous and to be, uh, popular and stuff like that. And I don't mind, uh, taking some of the bullets that come along with it. That's, you know, that's okay as well, but it's amazing to have fans. It's amazing to have, um, followers it's amazing to have people that want to listen to your message that want to improve and then to hear people uh being impacted from that positively is uh, is just it's an amazing feeling you've done such a great job at evolving with the trends i think a lot of people who start you know who've started 10 plus years ago in fitness have a really hard time transitioning from platforms and kind of finding a way to stay relevant. I think you've been so on top of, are you on TikTok already? <laughs> um, not, not that I'm aware of, but who knows, maybe my team is running some of that. I, you know, I, I've removed myself from a lot of stuff. Um, the only thing that I mess with is Twitter, but everything is still, everything's still from me. because you know, I have an iCloud and my team taps into the iCloud and, um, you know, I just, so I just don't, I, it's hard to say because like social media is so fun in so many different ways mm -hmm. and I love watching and seeing what my friends do. But then I also find myself going down these rabbit holes that just aren't healthy. You know, it's like you see the negative comment and then you're, you know, you're striking back and it's just all so it's all just a giant waste of time really is what it is because how does that, I don't think that helps. You know, I just don't think it's very helpful the, mm -hmm. the negative energy uh, that can surround some of that. So if you can use social media and keep it positive and uh, be happy and cheery about it and just kind of keep it to that, I think that it might have uh, some, some good use, but <clears throat> I think we have a tendency to focus in on the negative and uh, the negative comments somehow make you think that you did a bad job. You know, I've shot thousands of videos and, Uh, you get one person, they just kind of throw you off course, you know? Um, but I've had to do a lot of, uh, learning. I've had to do a lot of research. I've had to just really change myself a lot and change my thoughts about, about the way that I perceive stuff. I've had to learn to reinterpret things and, and, uh, I've had to just, I almost like, uh, I like go back and erase, erase my memory and not allow. So nothing at this point. Um, it, well, it, it's just, it's really, really hard for me to get mad. It really, it's like, I mean, uh, there hasn't been a scenario in the last six months where I've gotten triggered or mad or anything like that. Um, and I've been able to basically just take when you can take facts, when you can, uh, replace what you're thinking with, uh, with facts and you can put replace what you're feeling with facts. Um, then it really helps you a lot with being able to reinterpret what's going on. So if, if I, if I called you guys, it's easy for you guys to point it out because you're not in it, even though you've had experience with it. If I was to call you guys and say, 
Hey man, like this guy on Instagram, he said this, this, and this about me. And you know, it, your guy's first response would be like, okay, Mark, dude, settle down. Like, <laughs> do you know this guy? Like, is he your, like, is this a family member? Is this a buddy? Like, is this someone that knows you? And I'd say no. <laughs> and then he would say, well, uh, who really gives a shit? Like if the guy doesn't know you, he doesn't know your character, he doesn't know who you are. He's unable to affect you. He's unable to hurt your feelings. Right. He's unable to. And I, and I think that for a long time, I kind of would sway a little bit with my feelings uh, in regards to how somebody did something. Could be somebody at work. It could be, you know, could be anything. It could be, you know, deal, dealing with a customer or a client. Um, and then I, I would kind of be very jumpy towards my feelings. I would react to my feelings, but I've learned <clears throat> that that's just not helpful at all. And so instead of that, I reinterpret it by trying to understand the facts a little bit more. And then when you understand the facts, then you can start to be a lot more rational. You can actually think it through a little bit better, which is, you know, you hear sometimes people say sleep on it, you know, that's kind of what they're talking about. I mean, you can't just sleep on it. Can't just take more time. You have to probably, uh, give it a little bit more thought. But I think some of the stuff that helped me get popular or some of the stuff that helped me get famous was reactionary, like the fuck your elbow video. You know, that was a response, you know, and people like that. People do, they do like that. They do, they do identify with when you really just let loose with your feelings. Even if you just break down, if you were to go into office and give a speech and break down and cry, the team would respond really well to it for a few weeks, you know? Um, but uh, again, I just, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn as I keep going here. And, um, all that has been extremely helpful and it's helped me to, uh, kind of balance out everything and make more sense of what's going on on social media. Mm -hmm. I really like what he said about just sometimes exposing your vulnerability and expressing yourself and how you truly feel. Have you been trying that a little bit more uh, recently than in the past? Yeah, I have. You know, I think that it, it it's all a matter of repetition, right? I think the more negative comments and the more attacked you get, the it gets to a point where you've heard it all, right? It just doesn't affect you anymore because whatever someone's going to say, you've already heard it and it's already just kind of been processed in your mind. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I do, I do think that sometimes expressing your point of view or, or rebutting something that someone says can have can be really well received just depends on like how you do it yeah and well it's like most things it's all in in the delivery yeah mark went so when you see somebody comment something on you know a post of yours on instagram or twitter that you don't agree with will you still engage with people will you still you know not necessarily argue or maybe you do but you know state your opinion and and like discuss the issues yeah sometimes i mean i think sometimes somebody has a really relevant point You know, um, somebody the other day, um, I was just talking about how I don't really care that I don't have weights, like, cause I decided not to lift in my gym just cause I, I didn't, I, I want to lift with my team. I don't want to be in there lifting by myself and just mm -hmm. showing videos and stuff like that. So I thought for like the morale of the staff and stuff, I thought it was best that I just didn't do that. So I, I have a little bit of dumbbells here, uh, at the beach house and stuff. I have some stuff like that. Um, but I've mainly been like running and doing like push-ups and doing a lot of body weight stuff. I see you guys doing a lot of body weight exercises as well. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing a lot of stuff like that. Um, 
And then somebody just made a comment on my YouTube the other day and they said, well, it's easier for you because you're on steroids. And he said something about like the mental aspect of steroids. And I was, so when he said that, I didn't take offense to it. I actually just wrote back and said, Hey, you know what? Like I've been on anabolic since I was 25 years old. So I, I don't always factor them in, but also, you know, understand that I don't try to hide it. I've talked about it openly. I'm in a film where I talk about it. And, um, I, and then I also said it can make you feel better, but just like a cup of coffee, it has like, they can have ups and downs, you know, because, you know, how do you constantly keep your testosterone and your trend levels uh, through the roof <laughs> at, at all times. Right. So, you know, I, I just took that as like, okay, this guy probably doesn't probably doesn't know a lot about steroids, but they can impact the way that you feel about yourself a ton. Um, you see it a lot with uh, guys that are older that their testosterone levels are going down. They get depressed, right? And um, so it can be something that can help uh, stabilize you. So I was like, I should actually answer this. So if somebody if somebody says something, I guess I guess a one one thing that could still um, one thing that could still set me off here and there is when somebody uh, says something that's just completely false. Like, you know, if I was to post a picture and talk about being jacked and tan and they said, well, you're not telling everybody the truth. You're not saying that you're on PEDs. And I, I would just I would respond to that because I would think that that's helpful in that case to say, hey, you know, I've talked about it a bunch of times just so you're aware. And it doesn't do anything, though. Again, like it doesn't it probably doesn't help that person. But maybe other people reading it are like, oh. Okay. Well, he does talk about it openly, Mm -hmm. but again, you're not going to be able to really uh, please anybody. You're not going to really be able to, you're certainly not going to be able to please everyone. That's going to be an impossible task. And something else I've learned is that no one in the history of the world has ever put out a message with the intent from that person uh, that everybody else understood the same way. So it could be stuff in the Bible. I mean, look at church in general is, you know, there wouldn't be any church if everyone interpreted the Bible the same way. Church is literally we're going to interpret these verses. We're going to interpret all this stuff that's in this uh, in this Bible, these passages. We're going to we're going to go over it. And so once you kind of recognize that, once you recognize that there's nothing you can say or do to make everyone understand stuff the exact same. Although you can have a lot of clarity, you can back it up with some science like you guys do in a lot of your videos. And that can be helpful to people because you're like, okay, well, uh, these are the facts, but even science is just a guess. Even science is just a theory. You know, a lot of the stuff that we know now, we just think that we know. Yeah. You know, I, I think that with like this coronavirus, I think we'll probably look back and say, yeah, like, we uh, sat on our hands for way, way too long. It wasn't that serious of a thing because I, I'm a believer that probably over 50 million Americans probably already have had or, or have this virus. Um, and you saw in the last week, it went from a million to 4 million um, just because they tested more people. And so that drives down how dangerous uh, the virus is in the first place. But I think, you know, what makes us react and makes us reactionary is, uh, is living in the experience and then not having self-awareness. So the way that I have been explaining this is, um, you know, we're, we're on a, we're on a zoom call right now, right? I can look at this in a bunch of different ways. I can look at this as, all right, I'm talking to Hayden and Stephanie. I see they're on the computer. They're on a computer. You got, we're on a computer screen. Uh, 
I can have another level of awareness and say, okay, we're communicating back and forth. I can zoom out even further and say, okay, there's an audience that's listening to this. Probably half the people fell asleep, but there's an audience <laughs> that's listening to this and you can zoom out even further from, from there even. And I think a lot of people are going through their day to day and they uh, like, I may say, Hey, look at this amazing piece of art. Look at how beautiful this is. And I go to turn around and I'm, I'm telling you how amazing this art is Hayden. And I'm like, I'm like, isn't this sick? And I turn around and you go, I think it's fucking stupid. But when I turn around and look, you have your nose on the painting, your nose to nose with the painting. And I'm like, no, no, dude, you got to step back. Like, what are you doing? You can't be that, can't be that close. You can't see anything. So people need to take a step back to be able to look at the full picture and to, you know, get more levels of awareness. You want to, you want to try to achieve uh, self-awareness and self-observation to be able to really zoom out and again, compile a bunch of facts and then your feelings towards stuff. They still, you still may hurt. It still might be damaging, but any problem can be solved uh, with knowledge. It doesn't matter what, what the problem is. Just about any problem can be solved. Cancer can be eradicated from this planet at some point when we have enough knowledge for it. And so that's, that's the way I've been viewing things lately. It, does that new uh, viewpoint have anything to do with the way your role has changed now at uh, Slingshot? You alluded to it earlier, but I'd love to hear more about that. Just what your role used to look like and what it looks like now and, and what sort of initiated that whole change. Yeah, I'm 43. And um, about a year or so ago, I was like, um, I was like, I'm going to be out at 45. I'm going to be out. Like, I don't know what that means yet, but I'm going to be done. And so I, I I have mentioned that to a few people. And then what made me obsessed with it, it was like, you won't be able to do that (laughs) because they think this is like my identity. They think I'm like too attached to it. Um, And so I'm sure it will be challenging, but that is a goal of mine is to step away, at least step away from slingshot. I might be involved in some other projects and stuff. Um, But I'm just thinking of like my overall health. Like this is cool making money. Like this is fun. And the company's doing better now than it, than it ever has. But, um, at what cost, you know, like, I don't want to be like stressed out. I, I don't want to see, I don't want to see fucking spreadsheets. I don't want to talk about return on investment. Um, I don't want to talk about what color a shirt's going to be. Um, I don't want to talk about any of that shit. If I have like an idea, I'd like to just kind of put it into the machine and, and uh, let them figure out the rest. You know, they, I still get asked a lot of dumb questions and I think it's just because everyone's just trying to do the best job they can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I would love to be able to, I love that you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'd love to be able to, uh, you know, s- step away from that, get away from that and allow them, allow all of them, allow all of my staff to fail and to fail fast and to learn and to, to continue to, to grow, you know? And, and I think, I have smothered them at times and not allowed them to grow. Like it's been, it's been my own fault. You know, when I look back at it, I'm like, well, of course they're not creative because you're fucking yelling at everybody all the time. <laughs> they're too, they're too scared to make a decision because you, you're getting uh, and not, not that I, I don't really yell, but um, you guys know a lot of what I'm talking about here is that you're their boss, no matter how much you want to pretend to be anything else, no matter how much you want to pretend it's family or, or whatever. It's just, you're their employer. You're their boss. You're where their check comes from. And, um, they're going to be very intimidated. You know, they're going to be very intimidated to just 
to just flat out show you like a new crazy idea that's really, really off the wall, unless you encourage it, unless you encourage it over and over and over and over again. And to be a real leader, um, you know, I, I've said this many times myself where I'm like, I cannot repeat myself one more time. I'm going to, I, I'm going to just fucking jump off a bridge. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just going to take my steering wheel. I'm just going to go broop, right off the fucking golden gate bridge. Cause I can't repeat myself one more time. And then, you know, I've heard from other leaders. I've heard from, uh, I've heard, I've got opportunity to see like Peyton Manning speak in person and some really great speakers and, a lot of times when they talk about leadership, they're like, one of the worst things about being a leader is you have to repeat yourself all the time. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm like, I, that's one of my most hated things. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's what I'll have to do. But th- those are part of the reasons why I want to be able to, uh, you know, step away from, from some of that. And, um, yeah, this kind of evolution, me learning all these things. Um, and again, like if I think about where the company came from in the first place, Uh, This company just came from my interest, my interest in being strong, my interest in uh, being as strong as possible. And I'm no longer interested in being as strong as possible. I want to be as strong as I could be for now, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't have uh, the same desire to like push, you know, human evolution or try to uh, push what my body's uh, 100% capable of. I I just have fun now with training. So a lot of my own, um, ideas towards things have changed a lot. And so therefore I'd like to, you know, shift gears and, and be able to move into some different things. Nice. But, um, I had a question. Yeah, go ahead. One. yeah, go ahead. So do you ever feel, and this is me asking as a, as a business owner myself, do you ever feel guilty about, or have you felt guilty about not participating in some of the, I don't know, decision-making or even like projects that are happening? No, I think they're better off. You know, I, I think that um, we've had a few meetings at, at work where I've had friends come in and speak and uh, I actually wasn't part of it uh, intentionally. Um, for example, we had Jesse Burdick come in and, and talk to the group. Um, I've, we've had all kinds of different people. It's not really necessarily uh, 100% related to their success level. It's it's a little bit more of a combination of success and life experience. And I was like, well, Jesse's really close to me. I think it'd be super fun if he came in and talked to the team and uh, you know talked about some of his life experiences and then talked about some of his experience with me. But it would be best if I probably stayed out of there because then they can say whatever they want, you know? And I also told them uh, beforehand, I said, hey, I don't... I don't need to know anything that you guys talk about. You know, I'll probably be super curious. I'll probably, I might even ask you, but, but don't tell me, you know, what, you know, what goes on in here. So Jesse was able to just kind of like let it fly. And, and, um, I think that stuff like that is, is really, is really healthy. I also think that if you were to hire a consulting team, um, let's say to make a commercial for you, uh, we've, we've done this a few times now and it's worked out really well for us. If you were to hire a consulting team, to do a commercial, you explain hybrid performance, you explain everything about the company, you explain the gym, explain your vision, you explain your backgrounds and stuff. They wouldn't call you, you know, more than like twice, you know, they might, they might call back and just say, Hey, I had a question, you know, they might, they might need a certain logo or something like they might need some specifics um, just to make sure they have stuff correct. Um, But 
there really probably wouldn't be a lot of interaction. And when they come back to you, they're going to come back to you with ideas that you guys would have never been able to come up with yourselves. And I think that that's what I would love to continue to promote within my company. And I think it should be the goal of every company is um, we're not trying to promote anything other than um, anything other than like failing fast. You know, you want to fail, you want to fail fast so you can kind of create more knowledge. That's where all knowledge comes from. Knowledge comes from uh, error correction and you can't, they can't gain more knowledge. They, you can't even really be creative unless you, unless you have some knowledge. Um, An example would be like a six-year-old kid. A lot of times a six-year-old kid, um, they might be imaginative in some ways, but a lot of times they're just going to be repetitive. They're just going to like repeat, you know, if you said, um, like, I don't know if you said, if you ask them to think of something, they're probably just going to look at something in the room and say, picture, (laughs) you know, chair, like they're probably just going to copy the stuff that they see in the room because they don't have knowledge to say something, uh, you know, different to say something really, uh, really out of this world type thing. But anyway, uh, that's what I want to continue to promote within, uh, the confines of, of my, of, of slingshot. And I would love to, I don't think I need to be there for that. And, um, to answer your question in the very beginning, I, I don't, I don't feel guilty, uh, not participating in it. I don't think, I think that when I'm there, I think it just changes the dynamics of it. And then, um, they're so used to the ideas just coming from me all the time. It's a little bit like, um, and I'm sure you guys experience this too. It's a little bit like when you, you, um, you have a little bit of money and you start to give people money here and there. If you, and if you ever give anybody, uh, money for nothing, then they come back to you as if you're a bank, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and now, now they're making withdrawals every, uh, every couple months. And I think the same things happen with these ideas. If you're the one curating the ideas all the time, um, I think they just think that you have some sort of superiority over them in terms of being creative, which isn't true. They can definitely think of things. They might not be as passionate because it, it's not their company. So that's kind of the one, so the one thing, but what's the something incentive? I read kind of recently to talk about um, uh, creativity in a box. So you could, you could box up the creativity a tiny bit and that might be super effective. So for example, You can say, I want you guys to come to me with the craziest idea when it comes to a hat. So now at least there's like a direction. There's something you want a crazy, weird hat. You want a crazy, weird uh, new piece of apparel. You want whatever it might be. And maybe you can kind of, you know, funnel it or channel it uh, in that direction. What's their incentive to bring these ideas for, for your employees? Um, a lot of it has just been based on, uh, just a lot of like self-evaluation of myself, you know? So like, because, um, because I felt the company's advanced enough for me to step outside of it, I was able to start to learn a lot more about myself. And as I was learning a lot more about myself, I recognized how much it parallels, you know, everything that goes on uh, at, at super training and at slingshot. And so, um, yeah, from that point I was like, wow, I can implement a lot of these things, uh, immediately into, you know, into the stuff that I'm, and and I can even, 
even further, I can mentor a lot of people, you know, like there's no reason for me to really conceal this information. There's no reason for me to really uh, hold this information inside, even though I feel it's extremely valuable, which sometimes when you feel like something's extremely valuable, you don't want to like let it out to the world. But then I was recognizing how helpful it will be for me to explain some of these things that I'm learning to people that are 25 years old, uh, because it's stuff that I wish I wish I knew when I was younger. Like I, I kind of knew some of these things just from having good parents, but I didn't really know. I, I just didn't know. I, I've never had anybody flat out tell me that no one can make you feel any certain way. Like they, they just, they, they cannot, it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually impossible. It's a, it's a, it's living under a misconception. If you think that, if you think that Steffi can hurt your feelings, it's a misconception. It's, it's your interpretation of what she said that's hurting your feelings. Same thing with COVID-19. COVID-19 is, is uh, not destroying our society. It's the quarantine that's destroying our, our society, you know? So it's, it's all, it's, it's definitely the, uh, there's definitely, um, different value assignments that we have to different people and different things in our lives. So of course, if your loved one says something that hurts your feelings and they know that hurts your feelings, um, of course it has the ability to hurt your feelings, but imagine if you could take a step back from it and just understand, wow, they're really mad because they know that that's not a, that's not a place that they can go with me. They know that it hurts my feelings. So again, if you're able to replace the feelings with some facts, you're able to uh, reinterpret it. Um, I think just as an aside, I think you guys have a really cool uh, work environment over there. And <laughs> Steffi mentioned earlier that you've done such a great job at keeping up with the trends and moving from platform to platform. And do you think that has something to do with sort of that that wisdom exchange being a two way street? Like you're able to to help the younger people, but then surrounding yourself with all of these people who are younger and, you know, caught up to caught up with all the trends. I feel like maybe that's an advantage you have over somebody like, you know, Louie at Westside or even guys at Elite FTS and some of the some of the other people who are around oh, during your era, but who are maybe not not uh, nailing the relevance area of business as much as you guys now. Yeah, I think it's uh, massively important that you just, um, you go out there and you just mess up a bunch of times, you know, within reason, you know, it doesn't have to be like, sure. you're not intentionally trying to make uh, foolish mistakes, um, but you're trying to learn from your mistakes rather than like wins and losses. You can think more about wins and learning, you know, you, you win, you learn, you win, you learn. Mm -hmm. And you know, for people that are fans of sport, you know, what, what do you do when a play is effective? You know, what do you do in soccer? You know, when, when you score, because you ran a certain play, you executed a certain way, um, you fucking run it again. Right. There's really, there's really, uh, not a ton to, there's not a, a ton to really learn from that, um, uh, when, when you, when you win, other than that, it was effective and you're like, okay, well that's taken care of. That's cool. We can do that anytime we want. Like, just like you guys with your business, just like myself with my business, you guys know what works in terms of generating more money. Like, and if you just feel like, Hey, we, we could use a spike right now, then you know exactly the place to call. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of that is having enough, um, 
having the ability to be able to point out each other's flaws and point out each other's errors so that you can always make things, um, so that you can always like correct stuff, make stuff better. You can, again, uh, acquire more knowledge, you know, like what if a lot of times when we've done stuff in the past at slingshot, it's like, we'll just do it. And then we move on. We don't really talk about it, but now when we do stuff, we talk about it. And we try to, it will usually start with Andy and I communicating, and then we'll start to talk to everybody else uh, after that and involve as many people as we think we need to involve. But, you know, I think it's really easy to develop an ego. It's really easy to be like, no, 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 I know best. I know best. I fucking definitely know best, you know. It's really easy to get into that mindset. Like I've created – pretty much every single thing that you've ever seen our company make, whether it's like a design of a logo um, or a particular knee sleeve, elbow sleeve, slingshot, um, all the different iterations of those things, what most of the names are on most things. But that is, that is, uh, that is changing over time. And it helps to have, it helps to have young blood uh, in the building and it helps to have uh, younger people it helps keep me young, helps keep me fresh and up to date on what the hell's going on out there. Um, but then I think, like you said, I think they also get uh, some of the wisdom, some of the knowledge um, that I've been uh, acquiring. You know, and the other, the other last thing on that is that I'm super just, I'm really fortunate. Like I think people, they talk about their success a lot and they leave out a lot of factors. And I'm just, I, on top of, um, you know, working for it and stuff, which are all the same characteristics as everybody else. Um, I, you know, I'm a byproduct of really good parents. I'm a byproduct of having a really amazing wife. You know, I, I'm a byproduct of having a good family and some, just, I have some great people around me and then somebody could say, you know, well, you, you know, you, you kind of make your own luck, you know, you, you make your own uh, fortune, your own way. Um, yeah, some of that's true, but I, you know, I didn't get to pick my parents, you know, I had awesome parents. I grew up, uh, upper middle class. Um, my dad lost his job with IBM when I was like 13 and he didn't skip a beat. He just shifted gears and ran a real estate business and uh, a tax practice. And he made more money doing that than he ever would have with IBM. So I saw all these things as a kid and, um, you know, just learned a lot of great lessons from uh, family members and things like that. And so I, I always like to kind of point that out because I think um, not that anything was really necessarily handed to me, but I, ha- I didn't have shit to worry about. You know, I, it's not like I was fighting for my life in the streets or anything like that. And it doesn't matter where you come from, because eventually you need to uh, be a functioning part of society and you need to get over, we all have problems, we all have issues. Um, but my, my point in pointing that out is that luck does play into some of this uh, to some degree. Your location, who you meet, all these things are all factors. Um, they're, they're all to be factored in there at least a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that it's refreshing. You know, I love when people who have seen a high level of success come on the podcast and say things like that, because I think it's so easy to fall into the trap of uh, winner's bias, you know, where you just think every decision you've ever made is gold and every decision you'll ever make is gold. And it was 100 percent you that got you to where you are. And I, I think they're in almost every successful business, there's an element of, of luck, whether it be time, right place, right time, right place, right time, right people around you, right yeah. influences, all, all the things that you just mentioned. So yeah. 
I think that's uh, that's great. And just to follow up on what you were saying about the young blood in the company, you guys just went through a rebranding, right? Uh, or a little bit of a rebranding. Was that a, yeah, a, a top down yeah, decision, or did the yeah, young people come to you? We've uh, we've changed we've changed some things up a little bit, but uh, nothing nothing too drastic. Uh, just some different logos and things like that. But um, you know. With, with, uh, with my wife, you know, being my wife, like runs, I guess my wife runs the business. My wife is like the boss. Um, I think initially it was kind of like both of us and now it's basically more, it's more just her. She's the one that's on the calls and on the, uh, doing the different meetings and stuff. And sometimes like, again, like bringing up this idea of like being lucky, you know, she, she went to business school. Um, not that everything, not that she's using business school every single day and every single thing that we do. Um, but she had that background. She has background in, in working for other companies and she's able to, you know, when someone's like, when someone, you know, wants to, uh, go do something and she's like, just take a fucking sick day. You know, she'll just like flat out say it because, like for me, I would be like, yeah, sure. I don't care. Like I'm just, I don't even want to think about stuff like that. So mm -hmm. for her, you know, she knows what to do in kind of every situation, especially with all the experience that we started to acquire over the last, uh, the last 10 years. And it's, it's amazing sometimes when we have meetings to kind of watch her just make decisions. And I, and I've, so at the same time as I like to do stuff by committee and have people, you know, use some of their creativity, Sometimes you have to also just flat out make a decision. There has to be, there has to be like an alpha in the room sometimes, you know, and, and I'm like, I'm pretty passive when I don't, so I'm just not that interested in like in the smaller details of what we do and letting go of that has been huge for me because I think in the beginning I would kind of, I would sweat some of the details. I would like kind of worry about them. I'm like, this, why the fuck do I even care about? Why do I care what color that is? Like, should like I either care about it, and I'm going to voice my opinion and say, "Hey, look, this thing needs to be red," like I did with the slingshot, because mm -hmm. every fat power lifter wears black, so that's why I made it red. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, there's going to be times where you're going to have to step up and say exactly what you're thinking, so everybody knows what's going on. Um, but other than that, who really cares? And when you pass the buck, when you pass something off to someone else. I think it's a really good under you should have a good understanding that they can do a better job than you can like that. That should be your feeling because you hired the person. If they can't match your thought process or they can't come up with stuff that's creative. I mean, you may have to give them a little bit of time to catch up, uh, you know, you get their feet wet in the company and stuff, but if they can't, then perhaps you maybe hired the wrong person. So what's the hiring criteria for you? When you're bringing someone into a team, is that their skill, their expertise, their values or morals, a combination? Yeah, we really take our time. You know, there's a saying they say, uh, <laughs> quick to fire. Um, and it's long, to hire, long to hire. You know, take, take a long time. Take your time with hiring people. Um, I've heard some people to do up to like 10 or 12 interviews with somebody before they actually land a job. It's like that's that's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. I've heard, uh, people like Steve jobs. They like to meet people in like a coffee shop and then they would go for a walk with them 
And then when they went for a walk with them, they could see like how that person interacts, like just out in the regular world. Does a person say, excuse me, when somebody else like walks in front of them, do they seem annoyed when someone cuts them off and stuff like that? Like these little things, you know? So for us, you know, we're, we're like, um, we're really obsessed with like, are you going to kind of fit in with the group? Are you going to fit in with the crew? Um, are you going to really just provide value, um, to the group. So that's kind of our, our main thing. We don't care about, you know, a college degree. We don't really care a ton about, um, any of those different things. It just really depends at this point, because like I said earlier, we used to have about 20 employees. Now we have about 12. So some of our stuff gets outsourced. And if we're going to outsource and we're going to hire you for that, then, you know, you better know what the fuck you're doing. But if we're going to hire you, we're not scared to hire someone and, and kind of, and kind of mess up, even though we do try to take our time with the hiring process. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, every once in a while someone gets through the door that you're, you're not expecting. I heard Dave Ramsey say that, you know, like uh, you guys may have heard this before, um, but Eagles, when they're, when they're at their absolute highest altitude, they only see other Eagles cause no one else can soar that high. You know, you want to try to, have a whole office full of eagles. You want people that can soar really high. And he said, every once in a while though, he said, somebody will make it through. And he's like, you'll be at a, uh, he goes, you'll be at like a, a luncheon or you'll be doing something and you'll hear, (laughs) he goes, that means you hired a donkey and not an eagle. (laughs) He's like, so you need to get him out of there. But what he said about that, which I thought was cool was that if everybody else is an eagle, they quickly recognize when somebody's not correct and they'll come to you guys. They'll say, Hey, listen, you know what? Like, it's not that I hate the person, but here, you know, here's what they're doing. You know, they're not fitting in. And then you guys would be like, really? Is that, is that true? You think you're, you'll think about it a little bit. And then sure enough, another week goes by, somebody else comes to you, says almost exactly the same thing. You're like, ah, shit. All right. Well, we got to move on from that person. And maybe that person will work out great for a different company, but maybe it's not the fit for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. How does um, the race to zero followers fit into all of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, 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 uh, who's this race it, was against? Go, it was going pretty good there for yeah, a little who, bit. I, who are I you racing? About, <laughs> yeah, I lost about 12,000 uh, people. Um, a lot of that is just like, you know, it, it, you're like, you're either in or you're in the way, you know, I, I don't, the, the amount of followers that you have and uh, the amount of money that you make, I mean, there's not a direct line that there's not nearly as much of a direct line as you'd think. Um, anybody that you would offend by saying certain things on your Instagram, as long as they were really your thoughts, as long as it's not like, you know, complete bullshit that you like make up. Um, you may have a lot of people leave, but those are just people that don't really believe in what you're doing all the way. Anyway, those are the people that, um, when you have a sale and you have stuff 15% off, they're like, Oh, so-and-so has 20% off. You know, those, <laughs> those are the people that like are having those weird comments anyway, that are not, um, they probably don't care about you that much anyway. But part of the reason for the race to zero followers is I don't want to have it dictated to me on what I'm going to post. And I just see that happening a lot. Like there's a lot of stuff that I could post where I just know that it's like gold. It's going to get a ton of likes, but I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm not, I'm just posting, even though it's not me that posts as much anymore. Um, 
I'm just going to, we're just going to post like what we find interesting, like what we find cool. You know, if I, if I have somebody, I I have a good friend, his name's Joel Green and Joel is like one of the most knowledgeable people I know when it comes to like nutrition and stuff. Now, if I just took a picture with Joel Green, no one knows who he is. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not going to get a lot of likes. You know, I, I already know that it's like people just won't give a shit about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't care if they, if they don't like it. And I just want to post the things that I feel uh, that are interesting. And sometimes I just want to put out a message to people that is uh, is maybe different. Maybe it's an unpopular truth. And, um, you know, you guys feel the pressure too. Like, you know that certain things are just going to work. Like if you both look really ripped, if you both have good lighting, um, <laughs> then uh, you guys know that like, you know, certain things like that. What I like about what you guys do is you guys bring a lot of humor to it. Uh, quite a bit, which I think is, which I think is cool. I think people, I think people, uh, they get a little tired of people maybe taking themselves too seriously sometimes Mm -hmm. and, uh, seeing everything perfect and seeing, uh, uh, seeing that every, like seeing that everyone's in a different tax bracket than you. And, you know, I think a lot of that like really like weighs heavily on people and, and bugs people. So I think humor, I think is huge. And I sometimes even think that that is, almost the only reason to use Instagram in some sense. Cause I guess you can use information, you know, here and there as well. And people will actually like follow a workout if you post it, but to try to make, um, to try to say anything like political or to try to say anything that, um, has a longer message to it. You can't really, you can't really, um, your, your voice is strangled when it comes to Instagram. It's like, it's just not the platform for it. And so when it comes to the race to zero followers, my wife and I talked about it a lot and she said, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that you're saying, she's like, you should say more of that probably on your YouTube channel since it's, it's built for longer format. It's built for people to listen right. to it a little bit longer. And she's like, people won't understand or, or get what you're saying, you know, when you, if you, if you say these things on IG and just a little bit more on that is, you know, when this coronavirus thing first started, you know, I, I probably four to six weeks ago, um, I've had, I had many different people on my podcast, you know, talking about the coronavirus. And I had one guy who said like, he, he doesn't even think it exists. Like he, he doesn't think anybody, uh, died from it. And so that caused a lot of like controversy and stuff, but we're just in an interesting time where if you have, if you have a point that is, uh, you know, massively different than what everybody else has, um, then people are ready to throw stones at you all day long. And there's a saying that says, um, if, if everyone's thinking the same, then probably no one's actually thinking because they're all just like following each other. So, I'm, I'm very confused with the information that we have, the science that we have as advanced as we're supposed to be all the things that we know about the coronavirus. Now I'm very confused on how we all came to the same idea, except for Sweden and except for Georgia and except for like a couple other spots in the world. And now, you know, with, with China, Sweden, and Georgia, you're not really hearing anything about that anymore. Like people aren't, they're not really, you know, they, they opened up their countries. They've opened up that state and you're not hearing much about it as much as, uh, as much as I thought you would, you know, if people were dying and people were really, uh, if it was as bad as people are making out to be, 
then uh, Sweden would have uh, had, they would have been forced to uh, shut things down more. Um, Georgia would have been forced to like change everything, you know, like, so I don't know. I just find it, I find it interesting the way that uh, things are unraveling, but when it comes to social media, it's hard to post anything uh, that's unpopular. People just flip out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've experienced that too. Why? Um, well, even if you post something that's popular, people are still going to flip out. It's true. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, that's true. Why, why did you choose that one? Part- I forget what his name is, but why did you choose that one particular guest to speak about coronavirus? Yeah, Doctor Batar. Um, so what, what I did was uh, when the coronavirus started to kind of kick around, I selected uh, about fifteen different people to talk about the coronavirus. Um, the first like few in a row basically all said stuff that really matched up well with each other. And then as we started to dig into it deeper, we found more and more people that, um, were still sharing that same opinion because more and more information was coming out and more facts were coming out about it. (laughs) Dr. Batar is a conspiracy theorist. He takes things, you know, he'll, he'll take, what he would consider to be facts um, and he will amplify them and then he'll, he'll leave out other facts. So he, he will kind of utilize these facts to his advantage. But if you look at the way things are, people will do the same thing on the other side, you know, and people will do the same thing with the West side barbell method. People will do the same thing with nutrition. People will do the same thing. They do the same thing. They really amplify their agenda. They amplify what they're talking about. And they kind of leave out a lot of the other things. What I liked about Dr. Batar a lot is just that he really just speaks. Um, he really is just talking about things that are a little controversial. And, and I like that a lot because, again, I think it gets people to think a little bit differently. Um, you know, him saying that no one has died from COVID-19 is definitely uh, like massively controversial. But the more that you know about a virus, the more that you will recognize that his statement might be kind of true. Now it's, it's misleading though, because people end up, my understanding of it is, which is not great, but my understanding is that people die a lot of times from a bacterial infection of fluid in their lungs, but they still don't really even truly know what you're dying of. So the coronavirus obviously weakens you enough to where you're set up to die. So it, it is the thing that is definitely, it definitely is killing people, but it's mm-hmm. just, you know, he just had a weird spin on it and a weird take on it. But even beyond that, I thought a lot of his stuff, what I was really, what I really liked that he said, and the main reason why I've had him on the podcast was because he was saying that a government can't stop a virus. And I, I would have to be in agreement with that. Maybe they can slow it down. Maybe some of the precautions that we took, maybe some of them were good. Um, but I think that everyone's going to come to the same Everyone's going to come to a similar, um, uh, everyone's going to come to a similar, um, hypothesis here. I think everyone will eventually grow tired of this. So I think that I may have gotten there a lot faster than most, um, just because of the people I was communicating with and the people I was talking to. I know I know so many people that are experts and, um, they're experts in nutrition. They're also experts in science. They're also experts in, um, I don't know a virologist necessarily, but I know people that are, you know, super close to that field and that communicate with a lot of people that are in that field and, and just 
a lot of the information frustrated me early on. And I just think that everyone's going to get frustrated. And what I'm concerned about and the reason why I think a lot of these uh, these quarantine things need to be lifted is that people are very close to, to wanting to get violent. Like things are not that desperate yet, um, but I think that they'll get there. And I think that is that is scarier than than anything is is people getting that frustrated and people that getting that uh, that upset. I'd also say that I think due to our parents, due to many people's parents and, and the generation that came uh, before us, I think they did such a good job at making money that no one's really that desperate because I, I don't see, I, I do understand a lot of America is probably hurting. There's probably a lot of people that are, are having some financial trouble, but for the most part, most of the people that I know, and I don't only know people that are rich, uh, most of the people I know have a refrigerator full of food, a freezer full of food, a pantry full of food. Most of the people that I interact with, most of the people I know, I don't know anybody that has coronavirus. I don't, um, in communicating with other people, I saw Rob Bailey make a post the other day. He's like, who has this thing? <laughs> you know? And like, he got a, you know, he got a lot of shit thrown his way for that. I think he's getting uh, frustrated with it as well. And then there were people who were writing, they were like, Oh yeah, my brother's friend had it. And, but it's like, did they test positive for it? You know, by, by some of the numbers I hear again, I think I may have mentioned this earlier. I think there's like somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50 million people that already contracted. It went from 1 million to 4 million in one week, just because we tested more people. So again, not to just beat a dead horse here, but I, I just think that it's, it's not nearly as dangerous as we originally thought. And I think that if people, um, you know, wash their hands and people practice some social distancing, uh, I don't think that we have anything to worry about. I, I even think that if we didn't practice social distancing and that if we didn't wash our hands, that we still wouldn't have anything to worry about because most of the people that it's killing have multiple comorbidities. And so uh, for us, for the people that are healthy, I guess there could be some people that have underlying things that they're unaware of, maybe pre-existing conditions that may be, uh, you know, genetic or something like that. But I think for the most part, people are going to be fine and people dying is part of life. No one gets out of this alive. So that's my thoughts on it. And people might have different opinions, but that's just kind of where I stand on it. Sure. And I, I think that, I mean, I won't dive too far into it because we could do an entire other podcast just on this. I mean, you've done 15 of them, but uh, I think you're right in that people love to argue the extremes and uh, reality generally lies somewhere, you know, in the middle. So I think it's always, uh, it's good to hear both sides of an argument and it's good to use your own critical thinking to determine where your opinion lies somewhere in between the extremes. Yeah. I think, you know, from, from my point of view, it's, it's always better to be a little bit more precautionary rather than take risks and see like how things would have gone had we not taken any protective measurements against something like this. Um, and you know, just to, to clarify something, at least from my understanding of coronavirus, you don't really need to have an underlying medical condition to be heavily affected by it, especially because we know now that there's more than eight different strands and I think the relationship between the severity of the symptoms that you get uh, is 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 not necessarily uh, a matter of whether or not you have a pre-existing uh, health condition, but more so to which strand 
you got. So it's almost like a lottery. Um, but yeah, look, I, I also don't, I'm not a virologist. I don't know what the right or wrong thing to do is. All I know is that what matters the most is just the effect that it has on the medical community and just the, just overwhelming hospitals and not being able to care, not even just for the people who have the virus, but for people who might need those ventilators or those beds or, or the ICU spaces. I think like that to me was the most concerning part, just how many people are acquiring at this, acquiring the virus at the same time and how that's going to impact uh, the medical professional's ability to treat for other people that, you know, have different health conditions. Um, I think that all sounds very reasonable, yeah. you know, and I think that I wish, you know, I wish our politicians would step in and, and say things that sound a little bit more reasonable and, and to give us clarity on like, you know, what we should be doing. When can we expect things to like reopen? When can we, and I think, I think we're beyond that point. You know, I think we, I think we made it out of that uh, predicament of, uh, things being really, really ugly of bodies piling up and, and all those kinds of things. And <clears throat> there's even a lot of conspiracy behind that. There's like, they have bodies that are on like beds and couches and stuff. And it's like, well, why would a human body be, somebody had to pick those people up and, <laughs> and set them up for a photo basically. Um, Cause it doesn't make any sense to move around the human bodies the way that the way that they were doing it. So in some of those uh, photographs and stuff, but even beyond conspiracy, I think that just using some logic, I like what you said about the answer lies in the middle. That's, Pretty much, you know, it seems to be fairly true amongst just about everything. We know that you can count calories to lose weight. We know that you can use, utilize other means to lose weight. But ultimately, even if you don't count calories, they still count. They still matter. They still factor in. So you may not be somebody that's a, a like I'm not a fan. I don't count calories and I, and I really never have. But um, it doesn't matter if you don't like it or you don't want to do it, it still is, is a factor that's in there. So I like what you guys said there. And I, I'm in agreement of that. And I think it's just healthy to have uh, good, strong conversations about it all, you know, mm -hmm. I agree. Um, and I want to, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, I know we've already run a little bit long here, but I'm going to grab my dog real quick. Cause she's uh, barking at me. So I'm just going <laughs> to let her in here. She's, okay. She'll sure. stop barking. Hold on. She just had to come in here and see what I was doing. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to, before we let you go, I wanted to leave the listeners with, uh, you know, a positive takeaway. And I think it's a good message um, that you've been promoting the, the whole thing with lift through it. So I just wanted you to touch on that uh, quickly uh, and talk sort of about what that movement is or what it means to you and how people can, can be a part of it. Yeah. You know, people need something to hold on to, you know, they really need something to identify with. And, um, I would say for myself, you know, I, I've been really attached at the hip, uh, with lifting since I was very young and it's just, it's helped me immensely. It's helped me through so many different, uh, different situations in my life. It's helped me with so many different things. And as I started to think about it more, I'm like, wow, it's, it's, you know, I'm not the only one, you know, as you, as you get into powerlifting, uh, 
one of the cool things about powerlifting is you get around and any niche sport that you get around. Once you kind of get into it, you are like brought together with a bunch of people that are just as weird or maybe even weirder <laughs> than you are. And, uh, you know, you don't see that in your day to day, you know, you don't see, um, you don't see these like gigantic, strong people every single day, unless you have a powerlifting facility. Um, but when you go to the Arnold, then, then you see them all out. You see, you know, the bald guys with the goatees, um, you know, you, you just, you see the power lifter kind of waddling through the aisles of the Arnold, just, uh, beat red and, and, <laughs> and, and, and sweating and, and everything else. But what we're attached to is that lifting experience that, uh, that grounds you. And again, the gym is a great opportunity to, uh, get better. It's a great opportunity to better yourself, great opportunity to strengthen yourself. And as I always say, strength is never a weakness and weakness is never a strength. People don't wish to be weaker. Uh, they, they wish to be stronger. They, they want to be stronger, um, mentally, they want to be stronger physically. And I think one thing that has been kind of left out of the original dialogue um, from strength training. And uh, this would have been good for Arnold to promote probably earlier on or Joe Weider. Cause like, those are the, those are the kind of the foundational things that like most of the stuff is still kind of uh, still a foundation for, you know, unfortunately um, they, they had a lot of great ideas and concepts and they, they made help fitness and weightlifting and stuff like that explode. But I wish that body, mind and spirit, was a little bit more uh, something that's integrated into strength training, something that people uh, really strongly understood can really be beneficial in that way. So that lift, lift through it is, you know, you, you have an opportunity to go in the gym and, and lift through anything that you ever had to go through in your life, whether it's, uh, you know, I was dyslexic. I had learning disabilities. Sorry about my dog. She's going crazy. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I know people who have lifted through people's deaths. I know that uh, Jason Kalipa, my good friend, his um, his daughter had his daughter had uh, leukemia, and uh, he he brought his truck to the hospital, parked it in the in the uh, parking structure, unloaded the back of it. It had kettlebells. It had bands. Um, he had all, a bunch of jump rope. He had a bunch of different stuff with him. And as you're seeing people do now, you know, he was doing these kind of home gym style workouts in the parking garage of the hospital that his daughter was getting leukemia at. And so you can lift through anything, you know, you can, it, it doesn't have to always be lifting. I mean, for other people, it might be rock climbing. It might be running or something like that, but we need a distraction. We need something that, um, connects the, the body and the mind together. You need a challenge. You need something to be, uh, to have a difficulty level to it. So you can see how strong you actually really are. I think people are way stronger than they give themselves credit for. Like, again, if we go back to the beginning, I said, I've never met one person that doesn't possess the ability to get stronger. And I think the worst thing that you can do, and this is a quote from Jordan Peterson, but the worst thing you can do in this world is be a weak loser. And being a weak loser would just mean that, like, you don't do anything about it. You don't do anything about your current position. You're not trying to make yourself better. You're not trying to learn from your mistakes. You're not uh, you're not trying to grow in multiple ways in and out of the gym. So the lift through it campaign is um, 
is kind of based on, on that idea of you can kind of, you can lift through anything. You know, I myself had to lift through, uh, my brother's, my oldest brother's death. He, he died of a, a drug overdose, uh, years ago. And again, like, you know, taking that, taking, taking that, uh, situation and <laughs> it takes me a while to say certain things now because I have reframed everything. I don't even say tragedy. I just say situation because it just helps me deal with it a little bit easier. But even taking that situation, if I'm to apply facts to it, I can say a lot of people die in their mid thirties who are bipolar. A lot of people who are addicted to drugs die right around that same age, especially when they're bipolar and they're addicted to drugs. Um, these situations happen in many American homes. Uh, these situations are very prevalent in, in today's society. It's not really like my fault. It's not my brother's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's uh, just a, a nasty situation that it, um, people get addicted to drugs. People go down a bad, a bad path. And what can I do about it? Um, well, my brother is the one who taught me how to lift. So I can go in the gym and I can view this as I'm honoring what he gave me. He showed me how to lift. He showed me how to exercise. And every time I go in the gym, I can, I can utilize that as fuel, not in a negative way, not in like, Oh shit, you know, he died and this and that kind of thing, not to have a chip on my shoulder, but to do it more so in a positive way where it's like, okay, he gifted this to me. Like, and this is the coolest thing. And then look at, look at all the different things that have come from this. Mm -hmm. And so that's what lift through it is, is for me. It's just, uh, this idea of like, if, if you can, if you can just figure out a way to be consistent, it doesn't have to be great, but if you can just figure out a way to be consistent and a way to hang in there day in and day out and get the stuff done that you're supposed to, supposed to get done and, and supposed to the way that you're supposed to challenge yourself, um, then you have an opportunity to become a better person and a stronger person. I've never, uh, obviously never heard the phrase lift through it until you started saying it, but it resonates with me so deeply Because every time that I've encountered a challenge in my life, whether that's the loss of a loved one or struggles in school or with my family or a significant other or, or even like my battle with anxiety, um, you know, for me, it's it's so empowering to not to not allow myself to be a victim. You know, anytime that I choose to, even though I feel shitty, I, every time I choose to go into the gym and push myself, myself hard or wake up early and go for a run or do something that's challenging, it's just kind of like a proof that I'm, I'm stronger than I think I am, you know, and I'm choosing not to allow myself to feel or look like a victim and just like lay in bed and let my problems pile up on top of me and feel bad or sorry for myself. You know, it's just kind of like that fuck you to life and, and just, I'm going to push through whatever life throws my way. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, super happy to hear that you uh, started practicing waking up a little earlier. I know it was probably before the quarantine. Maybe you're not waking up quite as, quite as early, but I think I rubbed off on you. I remember you asking me, you're like, why in the fuck do you wake up at 4 a.m.? <laughs> yeah, but I still can't get myself to wake up before 7, though. Seven's like that sweet spot. That's early. That's really I think that's close. okay. I mean, it's, it's about what you do when you're awake anyway. Yeah, you know? I But agree. I think that it can be it can be challenging to like function properly 
if you go to bed past like 12 or one o'clock, it just, it can be, it can be difficult. A lot of people can do it. I know like uh, Dave Tate does that. Like he stays up to like one or two in the morning most of the time and seems to have done, seems to have been very successful, you know, but for a lot of people, I think it's, uh, it's tough. It's, it's, I always like to, you know, be up early in the morning as kind of a, a it, for me, it's like a, a little one up on everybody else. You know, you get up early and you get everything started and it's, there's no truth to it. You know, it's, it's not really a, a true uh, thing. It's just, uh, it's like a mentality. It's a mindset. I'm sure you have certain things you do throughout your day where you're, you're thinking you're getting a leg up on the competition too. Yeah. It just makes it feel good. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. awesome. That's a great uh, place to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Mark, for being on our podcast. Uh, where can people find you if they don't know? I got a question for you, Steffi Cohen. Oh, go ahead. What have you done? What have you done to assist uh, with your anxiety? Um, lots of things. You know, I've been dealing with anxiety since I was 13 or 14. Anxiety and panic attacks. And, uh, you know, it's been a wild ride. There's been times where it gets really bad. And, uh, there's times when it gets a little bit better. So, you know, f over the last few, past few years, I've, I've tried different techniques from counseling to seeing a psychologist to seeing a psychiatrist and trying medication. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just kind of, uh, an ongoing learning process for me to try to figure out how to manage it better and how to try to figure out a way to, to get through it or past it. So what is anxiety? Anxiety is an overwhelming um, feeling of fear for the future. Just kind of like it's an inability to quiet your mind and, and like catastrophize like or, or you start thinking about what the worst thing is. It's kind of like an you're always nervous about what if. You know, what mm -hmm. if this happens? What if that happens? Almost like uh, preemptively, even if even though nothing's happening or maybe nothing will happen. Rather than uh, fear of the future, it might be helpful to think of his uh, fear over things that haven't happened. Mm -hmm. That might be a little bit more helpful just in terms of like if you're if you're thinking that it's fear of the future, you're thinking like that might be my future. Or if you're thinking okay. of it's things that haven't happened yet, then you're implying that you think that they still might happen. But if yeah. it's fear over things that have never happened, then you might be able to be like, oh, well, that's maybe a little bit similar to me being scared about a dream. You yeah. know, it's not the same thing, but maybe it will uh, help you to, again, kind of uh, replace the feelings with facts. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are the best. No, you are. People can find me at Mark Smellybell, Instagram, Twitter, all over the damn place. Uh, I have a website called markbellslingshot.com where you can get yourself a slingshot. You can get yourself some knee sleeves, elbow sleeves, wrist wraps all that good stuff. You can mummify yourself for your workouts. Hopefully it won't be too much longer uh, before we're all back in the gym, pumping some iron. Hey, uh, Mark, I don't know if you know this, but we're pretty popular ourselves. So uh, I, uh, I hope we didn't derail your race to zero followers by getting you too many more on this, this episode. <laughs> Why are you guys so popular? Cause you're, cause you're good looking. What's the deal? That's gotta be it. Yeah. It's gotta be the main reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> you guys get a chance to see Seinfeld on Netflix? Yeah, yeah, I did. You know, we, we actually saw him a few years ago and a lot of the stuff that was in, we saw him live in uh, Buffalo 
And a lot of the stuff that was in the special was the same as his, uh, <laughs> what he did in the, on his tour. So it was, it was still fun to watch it again. I'm a huge Seinfeld nerd. So yeah, it was great. It was fun. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Go attend to my dog here. Right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. <laughs>